This is Financially Tuned with Baron Fitzgerald and Simon Hilliard of Wellington Adams Investment Advisory. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Baron Fitzgerald and Simon Hilliard provide their clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, retirement income planning, wealth management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals, your money, and your plans in perfect harmony. And now here is Baron Fitzgerald and Simon Hilliard to help you find out how to be financially tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Financially Tuned with myself, Baron Fitzgerald, and Simon Hilliard from Wellington Adams Investment Advisory. If at any point during our show you want to learn a little bit more information, please feel free to give us a call at 855-793-2409 or visit us on our website, wellingtonadams.com. And also, if you're at the website, please feel free to uh, head on over to our radio show page. Um, you can check out past shows if you've missed any before that you want to have a uh, little information on a specific topic. So today's show is titled The Advantages of Owning Life Insurance. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about the different types of uh, insurance that are available, um, some of the advantages of the different types. And at this point, I'd actually just like to welcome to the show our co-host, Tony Shore. How are you, Tony? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking, Baron. And I'm excited about this topic because you'd think, okay, life insurance, don't roll your eyes, audience. What's important is a lot of people <laughs> don't know, they don't understand why they need life insurance or all the different uses of life insurance. They might think, oh, it's just to cover my funeral costs or to make sure my wife and kids have some money if something should happen to me. But it's so much more than that, I know. So I have a lot of questions for you because I know you guys have uh, a lot to talk about today. Um, Baron, thanks for having me on the show. Where do we start? Well, um, well, basically, I wanted to actually talk a little bit about a couple of history tidbits. Oh, okay. Um, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit about, as I mentioned before, deciding if you need it or not. And then we'll talk about the different types of insurance and some of the pros out there. Yeah, um, definitely. Well, maybe you could give us a brief history of, of life insurance and why we might need it. Yeah, just a little bit of uh, history uh, tidbits. Life insurance, actually, I mean, it's a product that was born out of necessity. It's existed back, dating back all the way to Roman times. A lot of people don't know that. Someone uh, in ancient Rome figured out that if everybody in a group put a few coins in the kitty every week, there'd be enough to cash, uh, there'd be enough cash to cover the cost of a casket when someone passed. That occurred all the way back in 700 BC. Wow. Two years later, someone else realized that if everyone would cough up just a little more, um, there'd be a something there for the widows and children as well. And thus, life insurance was born over 2,000 years ago. A few other noteworthy tidbits. In 1583, Richard Martin bought the first recorded life insurance policy. It was actually a one-year term policy on the life of William Gibbons. And in 1688, the modern concept of, a, of an actual insurance company was born at Edward Lloyd's Coffee House, which later would become the very well-known Lloyd's of London. 
And by 1976, more than 90% of all U.S. husband and wife families owned life insurance. You know, Tony, at some point in their lives, many people realize that they may need to have life insurance. The idea behind it is pretty simple. If you die, your life insurance is going to pay a predetermined amount of money to the person or the people that you designate as your beneficiaries. Any good wealth management plan should include life insurance as a planning tool, which can serve as a um, serve a broad spectrum of needs for individuals, families, as well as business owners. You know, in general, there are really only two questions that need to be answered to determine whether or not you need life insurance. Number one, does anyone rely on you for financial support? And number two, do you have enough money saved to provide that financial support after your death? You know, a few examples of people that would fall into this category would be if you have young children, uh, a spouse or a partner who would struggle to continue to pay the bills or elder parents that you're caring for. You know, if there isn't anyone who is relying on you for financial support or if you've already saved enough to provide their support, then you probably don't need to buy life insurance. However, If you get married later in life and you don't have any life insurance and you find yourself suddenly wanting to get some to protect your new bride, it may become more difficult and more costly, um, just if anything, because you're older or also if your health isn't as good. Wow. So uh, there's quite a history to life insurance and it sounds like most of us uh, need at least some type of life insurance. So, Simon, can you tell us about the different types of life insurance out there that we might want to get? Sure, Tony. There's uh, kind of two main segments, if you want to call them that, uh, term and permanent life insurance. So, term, Baron referenced there earlier, um, is covering that loss of income or that income need or a certain predetermined amount, death benefit, uh, business coverage um, for a specific time period. You know, you can take out a 10-year term, a 20- or a 30-year term, Um term is big because of the old AL Williams was a big popular one, basically saying, you know, rather than buy insurance for your entire lifetime, buy it for a specific period. It's cheaper to do it that way and then invest the difference and save. And at some point in the future, you'll have enough save that you can self-insure as Baron kind of pointed out, you know, do you have enough save to cover um, your loss of income to provide income to your children, your family, pay off the house, things like that. And the idea being, you know, hopefully as you're saving for retirement along the way in the future, you won't need the life insurance at some particular point. And, you know, you can get a cheaper policy by only buying a shorter period of predetermined term insurance. There's also the permanent insurance. So that's, you know, like whole life or universal life are the big ones. Whole life is kind of a little bit older version of the universal life that's a little bit more popular right now. But those are permanent life insurance policies that as long as you continue to make the payment, your policy will be in place, assuming you follow the guarantees there. Uh, that'll allow them to do that. And you can use that for an entire lifetime, you know, as opposed to uh, term insurance that's for a set period of time. You know, you might have a reason that you want to carry it on through your entire life uh, until you pass on. Maybe you're doing some estate planning um, or you know that there'll be future pension choices that you might want to offset with life insurance. There's also variable life. So variable life is is intended, I think, to be kind of a permanent uh, version of life insurance although there's a lot of flaws in it in many cases, but variable life is then premiums that you're invested as the name implies varies because it's invested directly in the stock market. So that one gets a little bit more complicated because you're picking underlying investments. 
uh, that can go up or down along with stocks and bonds and mutual funds and things like of that nature. Um, so it gets a little bit more complicated. It was popular when the market was doing really well a couple of decades ago, um, but it's lost some of its popularity because of the big declines that we had over the last uh, 2008, early 2000 correction, those natures. So it's not as reliable or as easy to predict as the whole life or universal life variations out there. Can you give us some of the pros and advantages of whole life insurance? Sure, Tony. I mean, arguably, the most important benefit of whole life is that it's permanent coverage. You know, as long as the premiums are paid, the beneficiaries are going to receive the death benefit no matter when the insured dies. You know, as Simon mentioned just before, you know, term insurance is just that. It's for a term, a stated specific term. It's the biggest bang for your buck typically. But with whole life, as I said just before, it's there for the whole of life. They also guarantee the premium is always going to be the same. You know, with other types of permanent insurance, the death benefit may be guaranteed or the premium may be guaranteed, but typically not both. Um, Another big advantage are the tax benefits. The death benefit goes to your beneficiaries income tax-free. Now, it may still be subject to estate tax if your estate is above the current federal uh, estate exemption limit, which I believe is like 11 million plus each for an individual. So anybody out there that has those, please feel free to give us a call. (laughs) Um, The cash value grows tax-deferred, allowing you true compound growth. Life insurance loans are tax-free, you can borrow against your life insurance using your cash value as collateral. And the loan doesn't need to be repaid. However, if it isn't repaid, it's going to lower your death benefit. You can also take tax-free withdrawals up to your basis. Um, The basis is the amount of premiums that you've paid into your uh, policy. Another benefit associated with whole life policies are the living benefits. Um, A terminal illness rider is typically included at no extra cost, whereas if you are diagnosed as terminally ill, the rider will allow you access to your death benefit in advance. Um, Another benefit if you are diagnosed as chronically ill, meaning that you're unable to perform two of the six daily living uh, activities, you can typically access a portion of the death benefit in advance. Another rider that is um, associated with the whole life policies, you can get a long-term care rider, which could be attached to the permanent policy. The rider allows you to receive long-term care benefit payments to help pay for your long-term care services. And last one that I wanted to touch base on, Simon's going to touch on a couple of other ones, but another advantage is just having great flexibility and control. You're retaining control of your money and you can access your money at any time and for any reason. So are there any other advantages, Simon? Sure, Tony. There's tons of them out there. I bet. Uh, You know, Baron started off saying about whole life, but most of what we're talking about applies to the permanent ones, whole life or universal. So I just wanted to make that point to the listeners out there. Um, Not that one's better than the other necessarily. They work slightly different and each has a little bit of a pro and a con over the other one. one that's more towards the whole life is the guaranteed cash value and they build a larger amount of cash value, generally speaking. So as Baron said, you know, there's some things that are set in stone. There's some guarantees that are in place as long as you're making your premium in many cases. So that cash value is something that a lot of times you may plan on use as Baron talked about earlier with the tax advantages. You might uh, forecast that into your retirement plans or just as a fallback scenario that there will be some cash value 
down the road in that policy if you need to fall back and use that um, for some of the tax-free benefits, as he pointed out. Um, also, the loan factor, he did touch on that. Uh, you can draw a loan against your cash value that's in the policy in many cases. Uh, in some cases, you pay it back. In some cases, you don't. If you don't have it fully paid back, obviously, they just take it off against the death benefit. So as far as that flexibility part that he talked about earlier, you know, that's a key aspect of it as well. Um, many of them pay dividends. You know, the uh, I'm trying to think of who it was. MetLife or Prudential was big for a while because that they converted over to those dividend paying policies. And in many cases, the dividends were being reinvested in fully paying for the premiums of many of the clients that we've come across or paying out a dividend to the client in addition to the coverage that they have. So if that's something that's of interest, you know, as Baron mentioned earlier, you know, in the planning aspect of what's the purpose of it, you know, we might want it for a death benefit to offset uh, the loss of income when we're younger, to pay down the house. Um, but we can also use it in your income planning, on uh, your estate planning, things like that. In some cases, they also have a waiver of premium. So if you become disabled, uh, in some odd cases, they can f put it on for other things like unemployment. But if you become disabled and you're no longer able to work and pay for those premiums, uh, the insurance company will pick them up moving forward. So if you're saying, well, you know, there's an, you know, if I work in a high risk job area where you're just looking at some of the negative sides or some of the concerns, uh, that's something that you can look at, be aware of, uh, get a good understanding of. So just a couple there. Well, that sounds great, Simon. Baron, are there any other things you want to uh, talk about before we take a break here? Um, no, Tony, just as Simon mentioned before, for our listeners out there, um, anyone that would like to have a, we can do a, a comparison to a current life insurance policy that you have. If you don't have any, we can sit down and determine whether um, term or whole life or universal life would be appropriate for you, depending upon what your needs are. Um, it may be that you don't need any at all. Um, a lot of times when you sit down and you talk to a life insurance agent, they're just going to sell you as big of a policy as possible. And that really shouldn't be necessarily the case. Um, it just really depends upon your own individual situation to determine how much and what type of insurance um, would be necessary for you. Uh, please feel free to give us a call at 855-793-2409 for that complimentary uh, comparison. Um, you know, life insurance has become cheaper, as Simon mentioned. You know, the policies out there are performing a lot better than the older policies, so it may make sense to switch to policy. It may not. just depends upon where you're at. Um, please feel free to also, you can visit us on our website, wellingtonadams.com. Um, at that point, if you're at the website, feel free to look at any of our past radio shows. You know, we're going to talk more about this. I have more questions about the advantages of owning life insurance, but we do need to take a quick break here. We'll talk more about this with our hosts, Baron Fitzgerald and Simon Hilliard. Do you feel like you need help navigating your retirement? Retirement can be scary, but it doesn't have to be. With our Retirement Income Toolkit, you can get the information you need to help secure your retirement. This toolkit provides valuable information on income planning, asset allocation, tax planning, legacy planning, and more. Receive your Retirement Toolkit from Wellington Adams Investment Advisory by visiting wellingtonadams.com or by calling us at 855-793-2409. And welcome back to Financially Tuned with our hosts, Baron Fitzgerald and Simon Hilliard. Today, we're talking about the advantages of owning life insurance, the different types and what they can do. Uh, it's been a great discussion so far. Now, Baron, how much life insurance do we need? How much do I need? Well, Tony, we get that question really all the time, and it's typically a very tough question to answer. 
it can really be a fairly involved process because you need to account for all of your own personal variables. What we suggest typically is first, you know, if you sit down with us, we'll write down your current net income and expenses. Um, then you want to project how your income and your spending will change if either spouse dies. Um, the next step would be to outline all of your debts that are out there. Then you need to figure out how many years of income you're going to need to replace. So, you know, if you passed it, you know, if you were 30 years of age and you plan on working till 65, you have to figure out how much income that's going to be and then how much therefore you would need to replace. God forbid the event, something happens. The next step would be then to determine, a lot of people forget to do this, but would be to figure out how much is going to be covered by Social Security. You know, if one spouse passes, the surviving spouse gets the higher of the two benefits. So that's something that you have to figure in also. You also um, need to figure out any education costs that either you or that you're paying for your child. And also you want to figure in there the end of life expenses. You know, for funeral burials, um, if you had any medical need, you may have any medical needs, things of that um, nature. Once all those steps have been done, and again, it can be a, a you know fairly involved process. I've really just basically given a, a simple rundown of it. But once all those steps have been done, you add them all up, and then you should be able to come up with a pretty good idea of how much insurance you would need to get. Okay, and I imagine that's an important fact that we need to figure out right there. And uh, Baron and Simon, I know that's something you help people figure out look at their personal situation. Everybody's situation is, of course, different. Um, can you get life insurance if you're in poor health or older? Uh, that's a good question, Tony. And I guess it's all kind of relative and subjective when you use the terms older and poor. But the fact is that different life insurance companies have different factors that they look at. And just like everything out there, when it comes to competition in life, there's uh, different niches that different insurance companies hold. So you know, the, the, the kind of rating scale is called standard for just kind of the normal standard health of individuals. And they've got standard smoking and standard non-smoking. So, of course, if you're a smoker, uh, it's going to cost you more <laughs> as far as the life insurance aspect goes. Um, but then, then they can rate you. You know, you can be in excellent health and you can get a preferred rating and pay less than what the standard rate would be for the same amount of insurance. Uh, conversely, you can have some health issues that, you know, if it's high blood pressure, that's something common. Some companies look at it and say, well, we're going to rate you and make you pay a little bit more. But there's actually companies out there that will look at that and say, you know, that's not that big of a deal today with medications. Uh, you can have it controlled. We're not so worried about that. And they might risk give you the same standard rating that you would have had otherwise. So it's one of those things that, you know, oftentimes if that's a concern, what we can do is kind of take a look at the health, do the exams uh, that you're going to be required to do, and then take that information and shop it around. You know, we might have started out with the company XYZ that had the best uh, rate at a standard rating, but we found out that there was a little bit of a health issue. Uh, so we shopped it around to a couple different companies and one of them came back and said, hey, we're not so worried about that particular issue. That's our niche. We're familiar with that. We've got a lot of clients with that issue so we can spread the risk around across them. Uh, we understand that area better. Our actuaries do. Uh, you know, We're not going to give you that extra charge or cost associated with that particular health issue. And we just had a case like that. I actually just did a case for a couple um, and it was a larger one. And that's what, came, you know, they were, uh, we were looking around and there were some health issues that came up. 
we shopped it around to a different company. They didn't rate them on that particular health issue. Just like uh, spousal ones, you know, we're talking here quite a bit about income protection, but one of the other factors is uh, the transfer of wealth. You know, how do we want to pass our assets on? You know, maybe it's important to leave money behind for a particular purpose. You might have special needs uh, children. Uh, you might have beneficiaries that you want to leave a certain amount to, or you might have a larger taxable estate and want to make it more efficient from a tax perspective. And one of the big benefits that you can do is what they call a second to die or a spousal policy where two people, the spouses both go in on the policy and it doesn't pay out until the second one passes. So you actually get an even better uh, bang for your buck, so to speak, a better payout uh, in relation to just a single life policy, because obviously the odds are uh, that two people between them, one of them will live longer than average, uh, better odds than just one person on their own. And there's different companies that'll look at that differently. So, you know, we just shopped a case and literally the difference on a million and a half dollar case was a good one. It was a big case out there that they were looking to transfer some wealth on. And uh, the top company to the second company was $400,000 difference of death benefit. So it's a pretty significant swing. I would say that doesn't happen too often that it's that big, but that's all that more reason to be aware of what you're getting, why you're getting it work with somebody that's using a brokerage and that can shop around and pick different companies so that the different niches are available to each and every one. Um, not all companies are equal when it comes to things like that, just like your car dealerships and all the other things out there. So keep that in mind, I guess, as uh, you're looking and considering your life insurance uh, needs. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to take into account here. Now, Baron, are life insurance companies safe? You know, Tony, that's actually another thing that comes up quite a bit. You know, typically, as I said before, one question that's always asked is how much insurance do I need? And then another question is, is that there seems to be with some people a fear that the you know life insurance company is not going to pay the uh, benefit when the time comes. So, you know, it's a fair question. You know, companies go out of business, um, they go bankrupt, they merge. So it's reasonable to want to be assured that the company is going to pay out the benefit. You know, there actually are guarantees and they're good ones at that. But before we talk about why the company will pay, let's talk about two reasons why the insurance company wouldn't pay the death benefit. First, if you commit suicide during the first year or two of your policy, um, you know, the contestability period varies depending upon the state that you live in. But if that occurs, your beneficiary is going to not receive anything except for a refund of the premiums that were paid. And that's spelled out very, very clearly in the policy. The company, you know, they don't want to be party to a, a scheme whereby your family gets a windfall if you, you know, decide to go on and off yourself. <laughs> Secondly, I see him well. We really know of any other way to put it. But secondly, if you die from any cause during the contestability period, the insurance company is going to, you know, investigate. They're going to want to know how, why that happened. On the application, you know, you signed a statement that you had disclosed all of your known health issues. The company just wants to, you know, find out if you knew something that maybe you quote unquote forgot to tell them. You know, like for example, uh, oh, you had cancer? Well, yeah, I guess I forgot to tell you that, you know, that sort of thing. So if your beneficiary files a claim during that one or two year period, there's going to be an investigation, even if there wasn't one when you applied. Uh, if the company can prove that you knew and they are going to look at your medical records for this, 
um, then your beneficiary is only going to get a refund of premiums. But if they can't prove that you knew about it, then they'll pay. You know, occasionally things like this wind up in court, although that's not usually the case. But after the contestability period has passed, the insurance company at that point can no longer go back and claim that you withheld information on the application. So let's talk about why the insurance company will pay. Number one reason is because they have the ability to pay. The financial strength of life insurance companies is almost beyond comprehension. Um, Many life insurance companies were started more than a century ago and they're still going strong today. The second reason is that they're required to pay. Beyond your insurance company's just sheer financial strength, the client has safety nets to help guarantee that the company is going to be able to pay its claims. Um, every, every life insurance company is audited. So you know that the company is operated prudently. The state insurance commissioner's office can run a company in the event if it gets in financial trouble. So then you know you can be confident that your policy is going to stay in force. And then every life insurance company is audited by several independent ratings companies. And you should you know, choose to deal with only the best ones that are out there. In, in a nutshell, this is what it means. The life insurance industry is regulated, but not just sort of regulated. It is highly regulated by the federal government. There are few, if any, industries out there that are more highly regulated. Regulations require, among other things, that insurance companies have an adequate reserves to pay their claims. Um, the auditors are going to regularly review the books. The insurance companies may not invest their reserves in any kind of speculative investments, and that even includes stocks. They're off limits for reserves. The reserves can only be used to satisfy claims, and they can't be used to pay salaries or any kind of other operating expenses. If a life insurance company gets into financial trouble, the insurance commissioner in the company's home state is going to start a process called rehabilitation to help the company regain its financial footing. Every state has a state guarantee association that backs up the insurance company policies in the event of the insurance company's bankruptcy. So the state regulators, they really want to make sure that people who are buying life insurance are protected. And quite frankly, they wouldn't have it any other way. So that should put a lot of people's mind at ease as far as whether the company is going to pay out or not. Yeah, definitely. And that makes perfect sense. That sounds good. And it's great to know. Now we're almost out of time for today's show. Simon, is there anything you want to add before we have to go today? Well, for the listeners today, obviously there's a lot that goes into your life insurance considerations out there, uh, especially the companies that you're choosing from, how much you need, what type of coverage uh, to get. So as we mentioned earlier, we will offer that life insurance review. If you have an existing policy, we'll take a closer look at it, make sure that it is performing as, as it's supposed to and will perform moving forward. Um, if you don't have life insurance, but you're wondering if you need it, we'll help you sit down and decide whether or not that's the right fit for you, how much coverage you'll need, and which type of policy to pick up. You can reach us at 855-793-2409 or online at wellingtonadams.com. Thank you for listening to Financially Tuned. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound retirement plan. For more information, please contact Baron Fitzgerald or Simon Hilliard at Wellington Adams Investment Advisory. Call 855-793-2409 or visit them online at wellingtonadams.com. 
All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. Baron Fitzgerald, Simon Hilliard, and Wellington Adams Investment Advisory are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency.